and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Amen. Welcome, everybody, to the Remnant Call. I am your host, Brother Frank, and glad to be here with you, with the body of believers. This is the time uh, for us to not forsake the assembling together with one another. And I know there's a lot of people out there. You're like, I don't have anybody to assemble uh, together with. Well, you're here with us tonight folks, and God, we are asking his presence, and where two or more are gathered in the name of Jesus, he promised to be in the midst, and we are going to invite him in tonight, uh, as we uh, always expect his presence, but I feel that there is a need right now in the body, uh, many of you have expressed through emails, there is a struggle, there is a fear, there is a, um, a worry that's going on right now in the body of believers, many of you that listen to this program, you are awake to the hour that we live in right now. But there is something that's restless. I don't. You're you're wondering how do I prepare? How do I how do I uh, take care of my family? What about my children? What about this and what about that? And folks, I want to just say this: that God is not the author of confusion. So if you're feeling confused, it's time to let that go, because God will bring clarity about to his people. And tonight we're going to bring on a special guest, Brother David Murray with us, um, to speak uh, just some powerful words uh, by God's grace into some blessings that I believe the Lord will use to touch uh, each one of our hearts in a deeper way to know something deeper about our relationship that I believe will help us as we move forward into the earth's darkest days. You know, folks, even though it's getting dark and even though there's this, there's that, there's another, the next thing that's going to happen and there's terrorist attacks and there's, there's all this stuff going on. God is not calling us to a spirit of fear, but of peace in this hour. Well, let's start with prayer. Father in heaven, I just thank you so much for loving us enough to send your only begotten son that he would lay down his life because he cared and desired to be with us. Lord, I pray tonight as we go through this show that we would understand that we are valued in your eyes. And not, not only we would understand it, but we would accept it and live it. I pray for those who have been struggling, Lord, that they would find healing, that they would understand that you have opened a new way as you spoke of in the book of Hebrews, a living way that the most vilest sinner could come directly in and ask for forgiveness. Lord, I thank you for the blessings that you've given us here at the Remnant Call to share this good news to a dying world. I ask tonight that you'd bless Brother David as he speaks forth a word of hope in these hours is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm not going to keep you waiting any longer. I'm going to bring on our guest tonight. Uh, his name is David Murray, and I'm going to let him talk a little bit about what he does, but let me bring him on. David, are you here with us on the Remnant Call? 
I am, Brother Frank. How are you? Man, brother, I am so, so good. Uh, David, I'm just thankful to to have you on here tonight to share what the Father's put on your heart. And, and David, I, I just getting to know you personally, um, it just blesses every part of me. And I just want to say thank you for your friendship uh, and thank you for your commitment. And, and I want to share something with our audience. But David, first, I'd like just for take a second to explain about the show that you uh, do uh, every, I think, Friday night it is on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, yeah, we have a <clears throat> there's a, a Blog Talk Radio, Dorothy Carruthers, uh, and um, I, I speak on there about every other Friday. And we discuss the different uh, topics in the Word, and, and really what we what we focus on. The heart of teaching is walking out our relationship with the Lord, and walking out different aspects of our walk, and and, and how to take theology and make theology the platform from which we can safely, with safe bumper guards, actually engage the kingdom, which is you know which is our high calling, intimacy. So that's most mostly what I focus on. Amen. So you're on Sister Dorothy Carruthers' channel about every other Friday night. So folks, check David out. He's also got a website, dwmurray.com. That's M-U-R-R-Y, correct, David? Oh, correct, yes. Yeah, dwmurray.com. That's his blog. And with folks, you'll be on a journey when you get onto his blog um, with some wonderful things to enhance your walk with our Heavenly Father. Um, but I just wanted to introduce David by speaking about something that happened to me a few years ago. I had been under an intense uh, spiritual attack. Um, some people that I fellowshipped or around and knew, and I'd loved them and tried to help them uh, through the years, and they had attacked me with some false accusations, and, and, and it was really destroying me. And, and this was going on. It was snowballing a, a little bit out of control, and 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 before you knew it, I started to really go into uh, this pity party for myself, uh, which was bordering on absolute depression. I couldn't believe that I had been betrayed by those who I'd tried to help and, and had done things for. I'd forgotten the words that, that Jesus had shared with us that, you know, if they hated you, they know they hated him first. And, and I, I got into my own world about woe is me. And I remember I was down mowing in the, I can remember the exact spot that I was at and I was mowing. And, and David, I was listening to a program uh, that you were on, on Dorothy Crothers channel. And uh, I had first found out when Benjamin was on there and had you on, uh, that's how I got initially acquainted. But I, I turned that on that day and you began to speak about the um, valuing the the um, the praise of men and and David I didn't think that I had that problem at the time I thought that well that's not a something I ever wrestle with the the praise of men that's not something I desire until all of a sudden on that program it hit me like a ton of bricks the moment I didn't have that praise I was devastated I was devastated and David. God broke through my spirit at that moment and let me know, I've been trying to get your attention. And he was using right. that situation to wake me up, to show me my love for the praise of men. And David, I tell you, that, that show was a game changer for me. It was an absolute game changer. 
And so that was my first meeting, folks, with really the true intimacy of what David has to share in his own walk with God. And brother, I just love you and thank you for sharing that. I know it's not your own. It comes from the Lord, but I really appreciate that. And and tonight I want to jump into this message because you heard the introduction, David. You have your own uh, show that you do, it, and, and you know the pain that's going on in the body of believers today. They see the chaos. They see all the, the uncertainty. They have family. They have children. They have broken relationships, and there's a cry going out from God's people. And David, why don't you take some time and share with us tonight what God has laid on your heart for this audience? Sure. Thanks, Frank. And let me say, first of all, it's, it's an honor to be on here on Remnant Call. It's, you know, so many times we can say things uh, perfunctory, but, but really um, it is not a cliche for me. I consider the greatest uh, honor to have place in any place the Lord opens up for me to serve the body of Christ. Um, you know, every generation is meant to sharpen one another and grow up into the full image, the full stature of Jesus Christ. You know, Ephesians 4.11 says that is the purpose of the different gifts and the purpose of those who have gone on before the next generation. The purpose of spiritual elders is to raise up the, that generation to become elders themselves so that then they can raise up the next generation of elders. And we are all called to walk in the full stature. No one is, is gifted uh, in, in walking mature. We're so I'm saying that to say thank you, Frank. It is an honor. It is a blessing. It is an honor to um, to be friends with you, to continually get to know you and your heart for the body of Christ and for the law. So, so thank you. Um, Amen. So here's that I am. I've really been blessed with is the Lord places me in, in many different circles in the body of Christ, and many many years ago when. I was out in the wilderness, um, spiritual wilderness. Uh, I was in my early 20s, and he began speaking to me of what what are some of the areas he wants to use me in the body of Christ. And all of us are called. There are no spectators in the body of Christ, guys. And I want to, I want for our audience, a lot of times, guys, I just speak to you directly because that's my heart. And I know Frank and I are talking and, and, and going over things, but really our heart is to share with you. So uh, a lot of times, uh, family, I'm just going to be talking to you directly. And we we all are called, we all have giftings, we all have places in the body of Christ. Uh, the scriptures make that very clear. The new covenant in which we were all given when we accepted Christ, the Holy Spirit, was so that we are equipped to carry out the desires of Father's heart. That's very important. No other covenant before the new covenant. There were seven major covenants. We like to go back to the Mosaic Covenant a lot. Right? We like to go back to the law. It's comforting. But you had the Adamic. You had the Noahic. You had the Abrahamic. You had the Davidic. You had the Israeli. You had the Mosaic. Uh, and you have the New Covenant. It is only the New Covenant Church in which we are the fullness of the promise that was given in the Garden of Eden, that we would be reconciled to the Father, that we would be brought into the gospel of peace that will be one with his nature. And from that place of walking with intimacy with him, we then naturally carry out a walk that reflects the earth ministry of Jesus Christ. 
And one of the things that the Lord has placed upon my heart in this hour, and going back to the different, the different camps that the, the body of place, the, the, the Lord has placed with me in the body of Christ, is that depending upon our background, depending upon we, where, where we fellowship or our lack of fellowship or the types of fellowship, or for some of us, the types of fellowship we came out of, with them, they carry beliefs, ideas, ideals, and perception of who God is. And what the Lord is doing in this hour is he's shattering delusions. That's what's on the Father's heart. We all have a part to play, and this is just one piece. But one of the areas that he wants to minister tremendous life and dunamis power of the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ in these last days is that we walk with him in great intimacy. And the byproduct of great intimacy is that we will do the things that Jesus did in his earth ministry. And one of the things that I am um, often led, because I, whenever I, I, I'm preparing, whenever I, um, I go to speak, I'm always asking, what's on, what's on Father's heart? What's on your heart for the audience that I'm going to be addressing? And the lack of peace and the outright fear and torment um, the Lord showed me a small snippet of that for some of the audience that's listening to you tonight. That's not, that's not uncommon because there are many um, camps within the body of Christ that are experiencing intense fear. And much of the body is crying out for relief from this pain, from this fear, from uh, a trembling. And that's what I want to share with with all of the listeners tonight, Frank, is, is how do we move out of this? It's certainly not our calling. It is not our, the high calling of Jesus Christ is not to live in fear. So wherever we are experiencing fear or turmoil, we are out of alignment with the mind and heart of Father God. And that's very important, guys, because that's crucial to understand. Let's let's go. You know what? That didn't take long. Let's just segue into something here. Uh, in, I'm going to read Matthew 24. <clears throat> okay, the background, guys, in Matthew 24, this is significant because it's talking about the days that we live in. Uh, he's walking with um, the disciples. And it says on the Mount of Olives. And he just got done talking about some of the desolation that was going to take place. And uh, it says now, verse 3, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, and that word lawlessness is key, guys, it also means wickedness. Because of lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. 
But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So here's what I want to address, uh, Frank. And, 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 and if, guys, if you can hang in there, this is going to be challenging, but it's challenging in a way that breathes and brings life because God's word always brings clarity and peace and life. God's complete word will always bring with it a course of action. Comfort will always, in the end, point to the cross. It will point to greater intimacy with the Lord. Whenever we're listening to something and hearing the intent of what Father wants to do, the question we must always ask the Holy Spirit is, what is your desire for your church? What is the course of action? And this message is a course correction for many of us in the body of Christ that brings with it the full gospel of peace, of rest in these times. What happened, guys, is Jesus shared a piece of the Father's heart and mind here. He was imparting some things of the kingdom that would manifest in certain ways in the natural realm. Okay, and let me explain this. This is what prophecy is, guys. It's real simple. We've, we've mystified it. Pro, you know, prophecy simply is the mind and heart of God revealed. It's the mind the heart, the intention of the Father revealed is the spirit of prophecy. And it will always testify of the goodness of Jesus. So if we ever want to test a word of prophecy or insight that is shared about what is going on in the realm of the spirit, it will always point to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and it will always share with us what's on the Father's heart. In this hour, guys, what we hear a lot of talk about is in reference to portions of Matthew 24. We talk about the earthquakes. We talk about the famines. We talk about the signs in the heavens. We talk about the wars, the threat of wars. Right? We are discussing many aspects pointing to Matthew 24. Here's what's key, guys. The body of Christ, we do not get to pick and choose what scriptures we are going to take to heart and what scriptures we are going to allow to fall to the ground to be trampled on underfoot. Now, we have the free will. In God's great love, he gives us that choice. But when I say we don't have a choice, what I mean is if we're going to walk in the mind of God, in the peace of God, in the power of his love, in great intimacy with him, we cannot pick and choose. And for many of us in the body of Christ, we're picking and choosing what words of God we want to pick up and which ones we want to put down and, and, and stuff in the corner. And... Two sections I want to hone in on here, guys. The topic we're going to talk about really is peace. How do we walk in the peace of God? I'm not talking about soulish peace. How do we walk in the peace of God? And it comes down to understanding sonship, understanding our identity as children of God, that we are sons of the living God releases the peace of Christ. 
Okay. Verse 6 and verse 14 of this prophetic announcement of Jesus, by and large, is being ignored by the body of Christ. And wherever we do not take in the full counsel and wisdom of the Holy Spirit, we come out of alignment with the heart of the Father, and it robs us of peace. Verse 6, Jesus says, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. So right there, Jesus is, it's not a suggestion to, to his disciples. It is not a suggestion to us. He's saying to take heed, meaning to guard diligently. Guard diligently that you are not troubled. If we go down to verse 14, it says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached into all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So in verse 6, amidst the prophetic end times glimpse that Jesus is sharing, in the midst of the earthquakes and the wars, the famines, the pestilence, he says two things. Don't be troubled. And he says, the gospel must be preached. Here is where the alignment needs to take place in our hearts. We cannot preach the gospel if we do not have peace. We cannot walk in peace if we do not understand our identity in Christ. It cannot be done. None of this is, is a message of condemnation or shame, just the opposite. Light comes into darkness into a room. The Holy Spirit illuminates whatever areas we need to make adjustments so that we can apprehend the next deeper realm of the glory of God in our hearts. That's the purpose of every revelation testifies of Jesus who said we can be one with the Father. The Holy Spirit came to live inside our spirit man. We're a triune being. We have a spirit. We are spirit beings. That's where the Holy Spirit lives, inside our spirit beings. We possess a soul, which is the mind, will, and emotions, and we live in this carnal temple. Our soul, our mind, will, and emotions is the gatekeeper in which we choose to let the things of the Spirit of God come in or we reject them. That's the key, guys. And that's why much of us in the body of Christ, we do not have peace because our soul is walking out of alignment with the heart of the Father in areas. Not in all areas, not in everything, but in key areas that rob us from the peace of Christ that we're meant to have. In verse 6, it says, do not be troubled. Uh, the Greek word is alarmed. It means to be agitated. Verse 14, the gospel means the good news. So from a place of peace, we will share the peace that we have. If we look around, the reason why there's not much talk of the Great Commission, which has never been rescinded, from the day of Pentecost, the commission Jesus gave to now the spirit-empowered believers, a new covenant was cut by the blood his own blood, 
put a covenant with us that says not only am I giving you righteousness, giving you the gift of salvation, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. My kingdom will literally come inside of you. And then you will take that glory, that peace, that love to the ends of the earth. And as wickedness abounds, you will shine all the more brightly. Revelations 12 says they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so as to shrink from death. See, what happened very, very insidiously is the church began to lose her identity. We began to forget that we were bought for a price and our body is not our own. We began to forget that we were given a tremendous gift called sonship. We began to lose sight that, that we are seated in heavenly places, that earth is not our home. We began to forget the heroes of faith chapter in Hebrews, where it says the earth was not worthy of these men who were martyred for the sake of God's glory. And wherever we begin to forget who we are, fear will creep in. If we turn to Philippians 4, 7, it says, The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Guys, the word peace, and this is, let's even just talk about the word peace. Right? Peace is to be in oneness with God's mind. It's to be in oneness with his nature. It's a, a cessation of all unrest. The word in the Greek means wholeness, completeness, rest of the creator. Where Philippians 4, 7 says, the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here's where we're going to kick things off, guys. What does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? It's not talking about salvation. Remember, guys, this is, this is the Bible. The, the Philippians is written to born-again believers. So Paul is speaking to the assembly at Philippi, and he's saying, hey, guys, this is something you need to know, that, that the Lord, the God of peace, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If we are not experiencing the wholeness of God's nature, the peace that transcends carnal understanding, it means our minds are not in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the, 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 the simple question, the logical question is, well, how do we walk in it? How, how, what does it mean when Paul says, for in him we live and move and have our being. What does that mean? See, what's on the Father's heart, guys, is there are two things, two things that never change. One is that he desires great intimacy with his redeemed. That's number one. He sent his son while we hated him, the scriptures say. Every one of us at one time were bound for hell. He saw us before the beginning of time. He saw us before we were even formed, and he loved us knowing we would be haters of God at one time. He died for us. Us means his creation, 
we have to get out of our head, well, he died for those of us that already received him. No, 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 no. <laughs> he died for his lost creation that started in the garden, which you and I are one of. We've been redeemed by the second Adam. So the two things that are on Father's heart always that never change is reconciliation. The Garden of Eden began an eternal redemptive plan culminating at the cross that was for reconciliation. He desires great intimacy with his children. And he desires to reconcile those that are not yet his children. Those are the two things on our Father's heart. They will never change. He desires intimacy with his church, and he desires reconciliation for his lost children that he sent his son before the beginning of, of time. The great redemptive plan started long before Adam and Eve were even on the earth. And what Father is challenging us to do in this hour is to begin to apprehend the mind of Christ, to begin to understand his heart that one God is a good God, he is love. He is good. He is holy. And that's why he sent the Son. <laughs> the scriptures say that Jesus, who, seeing what was set before him, the joy set before him, endured the shame of the cross. Have we ever stopped to think about that? What was the joy set before him that he endured the shame of the cross? The, the cross was shameful. And there was a lot of shame in it. The joy set before him, guys, was reconciliation and intimacy. He's not upset with you guys. He's not angry with you guys. The Father loves you. You are the apple of his eye, the center of his affection. It was his joy. There was joy in which Jesus went to the cross and enjoyed, endured the torture of the cross was because in his eternal being, was the joy set before him of great intimacy that was robbed from him back in the garden. Mm. And nobody sticks a thumb in God's eye and gets away with it. Mm. Not going to happen. Mm. So let's move into that. What does it mean? What does it mean to be a son of the living God? In order to understand that, guys, two things we need to understand what truly took place on the cross, and then how do we walk in our identity as sons of the living God? How do we walk in it? How do we have our minds in Christ Jesus? How did the first century church die martyrs with joy? How is Peter gladly hung upside down on a cross? How was the church in 90 AD tortured under Nero where the gospel spread? How was the third century church just before it was, the Roman, Rome made it a, a national religion? How did they endure the, the martyrdom that took place? Or the 8th century church? Or the 1500s when people were being burned at the stake for preaching the grace of salvation is apart from works? And right now as we speak in a free land, where we're, we're struggling with so much fear, where we can go to the street corner and say, Jesus is Lord, or go into a stranger and talk about the gospel and freely share the good news, and we're afraid to, 
where right now as we speak, there are people being torn apart limb by limb, being burned alive, being mutilated for sharing the gospel, and they're willingly dying with joy to do it. The church in the United States is missing a component of Father's heart that the persecuted church across this globe has apprehended. And Father is saying it's time for us to walk in our identity. It's time for the sons of God to be revealed. And that's a good message, guys. That's a great message. Amen. John 16.33 says, I have told you these things that you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take part. I have overcome the world. 1 John 3.1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that's what you are. Galatians 4.4, God sent forth his son, born of a woman under the law, so that he might redeem those who are under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Because you are sons, God has set forth the spirit of his son into your innermost being, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Matthew twenty-five forty. The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus was calling his created beings, those reconciled, his brothers and sisters. Why? Because we're sons of the living God. We are sons of Father. Here's the key, guys. The cross, understanding sonship, is going to be found in a couple of verses. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. 1 Corinthians 6.11 says, But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. What I want you guys to key in on that is that is past tense, not just in English, the Greek. It's past tense. I'm going to read that again. 1 Corinthians 6.11. But you were, past tense, washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Colossians 1.21. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. So three key scripture verses here, guys, I want to hone in on. 2 Corinthians 5.21, 1 Corinthians 6.11, Colossians 1.22. You take those scriptures together, they say that those that have received the free gift of salvation, I, I can't even say that. That's even not accurate about tradition. Let's change it around. Those who have trusted that Jesus was the eternal sacrifice for our sins, those that believe that Jesus died for what we deserved and the wrath of God that we deserved was placed upon him, that those that have entrusted Jesus as the redemption and the forgiveness and the propitiation of our sins, 
those that had received that had been given the gift of righteousness, sanctification, justification, holiness, and to be free of blemish or accusation. Let's read those uh, scriptures. What does it mean to be righteous? The Greek word righteous means justice. Righteousness of which God is the source or author, a divine clearing. Righteous, a judicial verdict, properly judicial approval, the divine approval of God. So righteous means we have been divinely approved through a judicial verdict. Sometimes you hear about the courts of heaven, you can read about the courts of heaven in the Bible. There's, there's, there's laws in the kingdom. The God's kingdom is not a... There's law and order in God's kingdom. It's a real place. There's mansions in there. There's thrones there. There's rivers of life. There's, it's a real place, guys. It's an amazing place. And that place has law. And all those laws are governed upon the nature of God, which is love. And in that judicial court, because God is a loving and perfectly holy God, those two things don't contradict one another. Holiness is love, and love is holiness. Church often gets divided on those things because we, we, we tend to take one extreme or the other. God is love, and love is manifested many different ways. Holiness is one manifestation of love. Another manifestation is mercy. A judicial verdict had to be pronounced upon his creation. Jesus paid that judicial penalty for sin. So when God sees us, when the Father sees us, he sees us judicially approved. When 2 Corinthians 5.21 says we've been made the righteousness of Christ, we were made judicially approved forever in the eyes of our Father. Hey, David, I, I'm, I'm looking at this, and, and, and I see this, and it reminds me of, you know, when, when it says it's not by works, because we're, these are legal terms, and, and there's been guilty charges all are have fallen short of the of the glory of God. We're all guilty. And here it seems like Jesus is declaring us, the Heavenly Father is declaring us in legal terms, cleansed and justified because of the blood of Christ. And David, my concern is, is and, and I've seen it in my own life and in other people's lives, people are so afraid to be forgiven because we call the same sins up that we repented for a long time ago and we're afraid to accept this gift, not only of forgiveness, but of actually wiping the slate. I, I, I don't know. I mean, that's just kind of what I see in these verses. Yeah. Um, Frank, you, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, the goodness of God in the same way it took courage to accept Christ as, as our Savior, it takes just as much courage to accept that Father sees us holy and blameless. Many, many people just simply can't do it. We, it we're too afraid of, of what that means. And as crazy as that sounds, I can relate to it. I was a born-again Pharisee from my early days. Um, until, you know, God got a hold of me when I was 20, and he said, Dave, you, you have no clue who I am. And I said, well, what are you talking about? I, I, I pray. I pray. I memorize entire chapters of Scripture. I speak of the gospel to everybody. 
They say, but David, you don't do any of it from my heart. You're doing it to try to earn my love because you don't know who I am and you don't know what I've given you. He said, David, find out who I am. And that was a watershed moment for me. And uh, it took a ton of courage because what happened was, as I began to search the scriptures and realize, first thing he said is begin to study what took place on the cross. What was the judicial act that took place on the cross? And when I began to read these verses and, and see the word holy, and look at the Greek word of holy, it means to be set apart, to be sacred, to be in the same likeness and nature with the Lord. I, I, I walked at it. I said, no, 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 I'm unworthy rags. I'm a, I, I can't, that's, that's borderline blasphemy. As I began studying the scriptures, there came a point when I, I looked at the word sanctified, to be treated as holy, to be set apart as holy. And the word holy means to be in the same nature as God. The word blameless means to be without fault. It's to be placed in a sinless perspective judicially. And as I saw these things, my mind actually began to contend with God's word. Because I thought, I can't do this. I cannot dare say that I am made the righteous of Christ. I can't say I'm holy and blameless. Look at the mistakes I've made and look at what I continue to make. And the Lord corrected me, stopped me one day. He said, David, you're a pride. I said, what are you talking about? I'm in pride. I'm the most unworthy person I feel. He said, David, whenever you're contending with my word about who I say you are, you're trying to find an identity in yourself apart from the sanctified work of the cross. You are attempting to find significance in your place in this world apart from the gift that you never earned, you can never earn, you don't deserve, but that I freely gave you through the blood of my son. Don't you dare trample on the blood of my son. If I said I have gifted you with righteousness, don't you dare ever look at yourself again as a sinner. Because how I see you judicially is forever severed from the sins that you make as you walk out your, your process of your walk with me. You are to identify with yourself as I see you. And as I began to meditate on it and go back into the scriptures, I realized that if I'm a, if I'm a sinner, that I cannot enter into the Holy of Holies because God cannot have sin in his presence. And since I know I have salvation, the scriptures say I write these things that you may know that you have eternal life. And I know that I confess Jesus as my Lord. And I know I've received the Holy Spirit. And I'm having I'm, the gift of righteousness is what gives me salvation. See, the, the church has attempted to separate salvation from righteousness not understanding that salvation is the byproduct of righteousness. We can only come into his presence because we've been made blameless and holy. That, by definition, is salvation from hell. But instead, the church has begun to be sold as bill of goods that say, no, 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 you're, you're an unworthy, um, unclean, undesirable, miserable sinner that's saved. Well, here's what we have to do. Have, well, there's there's an extreme and a false doctrine to every truth. 
The extreme would say, well, I'm holy, I'm blameless, and therefore we enter into pride as if we've done something. Right? That's the one ditch. The other ditch is to, is to continue to denounce and trample on what the cross gave us, which is the righteousness of Christ, and say, no, I'm unholy, I'm blameless, and yet somehow think we're going to heaven. Because God cannot have sin in his presence. Hebrews, the entire book of Hebrews, is the author of Hebrews shaking the body of Christ up, saying, you need to understand that Christ was the end of all sacrifices. Once and for all time, the blood flows from heaven. You are forever washed in his righteousness. You can't earn it. You didn't deserve it. It's because I am a loving, good God that I did this because this is how much I love my children that strayed from me back in the garden. And so as we begin to get a hold of the fact that God says, positionally, we are holy, blameless, we are seen in the same nature as God, that we're children of the redeemed, that we've been made without spot, there's no fault in us, that we've been judicially declared innocent or acquitted. Now I can step back and say, wow, that's a son. I am a son with the full legal rights that a son has before the house of his father. And as I began to meditate on that, what happened is I began to realize I am loved much more than I ever realized I was. And I began to see that many of the things I was doing was based upon fear, trying to earn his love or acceptance, trying to earn approval or self-worth. And brothers and sisters, as we begin to get a hold of the reality that the cross clothed us in his righteousness. And we begin to realize how the Father sees us. He doesn't see our shortcomings or mistakes. He doesn't see the areas that we struggle. Romans 2 says, do you despise the riches of his mercy, not knowing it is the goodness of God that draws man to repentance? Guys, it is the goodness of God revealed in your heart that causes us to make a change in the way we think. As we change the way we think, we begin to think like the Lord. We've been given the mind of Christ. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. And as I began to apprehend that God loves me without condition that he loves me without fault, without blame, without condemnation, that his love never goes up or down. He doesn't take portions of his acceptance from me and, and bestow more upon how good of a Christian I'm being in my own eyes. What that does is that creates a church now who is motivated to love because we can only love to the degree that we know we're loved. And in this hour, what's been robbed of the church is knowing how loved we are. And Amen. Jesus' 
prophesied of that. Right, Frank, you and I have talked about this. Jesus prophesied about that. He said in, in the end times, in those days, the love of many will grow cold. Matthew 24, 12. Guys, the only people that have the love, the love of God, is the church. Without peace, without knowing our sonship, without knowing our identity in Christ, without knowing that we are holy and blameless and beyond reproach and sanctified and justified, without knowing that, what creeps in is fear. We begin to wonder, how will God take care of us? We begin to get off our eternal, our eyes off of the eternal plan of reconciliation. We begin to get astray from his heart. Because we don't have joy bubbling up. We quench the gifts and the fruit of the spirit that only comes from intimacy. For many of us, right, the church is not short on hearing we're in the end times. And we are. There's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. We're in the end times. But what the church is short in hearing on is how to grow in greater intimacy with the Lord. Mm. How to apprehend his goodness how to understand how much he loves his children that he sent his son. And guys, here's, a, here's an amazing thing. The more that we understand that we are the righteousness of Christ, the more that we understand that Father God loves us deeply without exception and that our self-worth is forever secured in his eyes, guess what that means? That means the rejection of man does not do self-worth. That means that what other people think of us doesn't change our true identity. That also means that our successes and failures, our strengths and weaknesses, also do not determine our self-worth. Our mm-hmm. self-worth comes from what the Father says we are. So, that's important to understand because if we do not, if we do not understand that, that's going to change the way we see everything. That's going to, instead of us moving out of great peace, instead of moving out of great um, rest and knowing that we are loved and that this earth is not our home and that Father has an intense, intense, passionate love for us, what we'll do is we'll begin to shrink back because we don't understand how much he loves us. We don't understand that he, he's completely pleased with us. Right? We're fully pleasing in his eyes and deeply loved. And what will happen is we begin to fear man. And this manifests in all different, all different levels. Look, look at what causes us to, to stop sharing God's goodness at the supermarket. You know, why don't we pray for a person that we see that's sick on the gas station? Do these things even cross our mind? For many of us, the answer is, no, because we don't even know how loved we are. We haven't even accepted the gift of the cross in our own lives. We certainly can't give the good news that we don't truly know or believe. And Father in this hour is calling the hearts of his children to his throne room. He's calling us to say, come away with me. In Revelation 2, when Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, 
He's talking to the born-again believers. He's saying to born-again Christians, let me in to your thinking. Let me into your mind. Let me wipe away and deliver you from the lies that you've grown up with. For some of us, we grew up with them within the church. Some of them, we grew up with them. Our beliefs were long formed by our parental upbringings, our father figures around us, our surrounding environment, and our, our, our social intercourses with the world around us. And all of those said the same lie, that we are the sum of our successes and failures, and that we are the sum of what other people think of us. And the Lord says, no. No, I'm going to give you the greatest gift that can be given. I'm going to give you the gift of my nature. I'm going to put my nature inside your heart, and I'm going to give you the gift of the righteousness of my son. You're going to be without blame, without fault. You'll be forever judicially seen as righteous, as holy, as blameless. And guys, as we begin to meditate on those truths, what will happen is, as we do, we'll come across situations throughout our day where we experience the fear of man, fear of rejection, or we begin to feel the guilt of how we're acting as children of God. And this is where application comes in, guys. This is where we say, no, no, no. God, your word says that I am fully pleasing in your eyes. I am, I am accepted in the beloved. Here's some other scripture verses. I, I, won't, I won't go into it, guys, but, but certainly you can look them up. Hebrews 10.10 says sanctified. Ephesians 1.6, we've been accepted in the beloved. Ephesians 1.4 says that we should be holy without blame before him. That's, that's what he made us. And we have the other scripture verse. And it's all throughout the new covenant. The new covenant, guys, is the gift of his righteousness. Salvation is a byproduct of that. We cannot walk around as believers saying that we have salvation and reject the means of which how we were given salvation is being declared forever holy. And now, for some of us, what comes back all the time is, well, how could that be? The Bible says to um, scriptures, you know, Hebrews 12, 11, uh, 2 Peter 1, 6, talks about discipline and living a life of unholiness and ungodliness. Galatians 6, 8 says, if you sow to sin, you'll reap death. If you sow to the spirit, you'll reap life eternal. Here's key, guys. Again, everything is context. The book of Galatians was written to the region of Galatia. The region of Galatia was written to the born-again Christians. And what Paul is saying to the born-again Christians is, guys, whatever you sow to, whatever you throw out seeds expecting to reap a plant, reap a harvest, reap a crop, whatever you put your time into is what you're going to reap. For many of us, we have sown and spoken lies over ourselves lies over the lost, lies over the church, division, backbiting, hatred toward one another, hatred toward ourselves. Much of the church walks around in an orphan spirit. And when we sow that in our confessions, in our thinking, in our beliefs, we're going to reap what comes from that. If I believe um, uh, God doesn't love me unless I perform certain ways or he's not pleased with me unless I do X, Y, and Z this day, well, what am I going to reap? I'm going to reap fearful condemnation. I'm going to reap self-judgment. I'm going to reap shame. 
But if I sow to God's word, if I say, Lord, I know I'm struggling with this, but your word says that I am accepted in you, you love me, I'm the righteous of Christ. And I embrace that. I thank you that the lies I believed about myself are not true. I thank you, Lord, that I don't need the approval of man. The sting of this rejection and, and what this person is saying about me, Lord, that hurts, but I confess I am loved deeply by you without condition. My self-worth comes from you alone, and it never changes, and I am complete in you. That's sowing to the Spirit. And what we begin to reap is love and peace being shed abroad within us. David, I was wondering, what you've been speaking is, uh, I'm sitting here just being ministered to um, as you're speaking. Um, But my heart is going out to those who feel like they can't find their deliverance. They feel like they're trying so hard to get free from sin, yet to end up back in it over and over again. David, is it possible that this not understanding the freedom in who they are is hindering the deliverance? I find that many people are trying to attack their sin head-on through spiritual warfare and different things, and I, I believe in spiritual warfare, but they're trying to do it apart from and instead of seeking the kingdom of God first, it's I'll battle and get myself right. And it usually ends up in failure. How does that apply to what you've been talking about to that person who can't find that freedom? Frank, that's an excellent point, and that is pandemic in this hour in the body of Christ. Um, so thank you for, for bringing that to light. Absolutely. What's important to understand is nowhere does the Bible say to focus on your shortcomings. Nowhere. It says to focus on the author and finisher of our faith. It says to keep our eyes steadfastly fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the scriptures say as we behold his image in our hearts, we are transformed into his nature. It is beholding the Lord Jesus Christ that transforms us. It is the goodness of God that causes us to change from the inside out. For much of the body of Christ, we are trying to change the outside, and Jesus condemned this. The Pharisees were the perfect example of this. They did everything perfect on the outside, and Jesus says your inside has no love in it. You're filled with dead men's bones. He said work on the inside, and then you will not reject the natural fruits that take place. You work on the inside, and then you won't reject the things that, are, that you're doing right now, that you're doing of the soul, of the flesh. See, a lot of us think when the scriptures say, walk by the spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. If we invert that scripture, then we're walking by the spirit. That's not true. You can't invert that scripture. If we deny the works of the flesh, we're moving in self-control. That does not mean we're walking by the spirit. The scriptures don't say that. It says, if you walk by the spirit man, then the fruit is you will not do X, Y, Z. And the way we begin to walk in the spirit is that our thinking must conform to the truth 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot walk according to his mind if we are contending with his word. James 1.22 says we have to be a doer of the word because we don't understand what God has done with us on the cross. Because much of the church doesn't understand sonship, we look at James 1.22 of being a doer of the word as works of righteousness. It's a hybrid form of, of messianic roots and where we think there's things we need to do to earn righteousness. We won't call it that, but if we are honest with our motive of our heart, we're doing things because we think that God will be pleased with us. 2 Corinthians 10.5 gives you the, the, puts the fine point on that, Frank. Um, and I'm going to read that. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts, exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So we're told to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That means what Jesus has declared over us and what his written word says about who we are as the redeemed, we are to conform all of our beliefs to match his declaration over us. And if we go up just a little bit. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. The whole context of this is how to engage the enemy. We would spend a lot less time engaging the enemy if we didn't give him the foothold. Satan only has dominion in the area we give him dominion because we're redeemed. So when the enemy comes at me, now there's times to intercede for others, and, and, and it's an area the Lord uses me a lot. He wakes me up a lot in the middle of the night to pray for other people, a lot. So I'm not, I'm not denouncing intercession. Um, I'm talking within the context of self-deliverance. What Satan does is he attacks us according to the belief system that opposes God's word. He is the accuser of your brethren. He accuses us, and when we cooperate with his lies, we give a foothold for him to then launch an attack into our spirit, soul, and or body. And so as we begin to behold his image over and over and over again, the scriptures that we're talking about, the spirit-filled believers, the same theme was over and over again, get your eyes on Christ. Get your eyes on the goodness of the Lord. Let the day star rise within your spirit, man. And as we do that, as we behold his goodness, the spirit of God inside of us begins to heal and minister. It's called self-deliverance. And when we receive salvation, right, it's spiritual deliverance. When we receive healing into our soul, right? It's a deliverance that sets us free to be who we're created to be. And the problem with the church, much of us, is that we agree with the lies of the devil. And mm. so trying to, in our own strength, overcome the lies by our own strength will never work. We're in, we're in Satan's arena. 
We overcome. The scriptures say we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. The word of his testimony was that he gave us his righteousness. We are the righteousness of Christ. Paul said, speaking to the church, he says that you were, you were liars, you were covetous, you were stealers, you were adulterers, but you were washed, you were cleansed, you were redeemed. Our identity no longer is associated with our struggles. Our identity is now in the forever judicial act of being made the righteous of Christ. And the reason why so many of us trip over that, Frank, is because we have not been taught there's a difference between positional righteousness and relational righteousness. Positional mm-hmm. righteousness is what we receive that gives us salvation, given the gift of righteousness and the byproduct of salvation. That's positional righteousness. We can go before the throne of God boldly, it says. Relational righteousness is how we choose to relate to the Lord. We either choose to relate to him as a sinner, we choose to live a life in bondage to the lies of the enemy, and ultimately our actions are going to go toward that, go, go toward that walk. We either live positionally unrighteous or we live positionally righteous. Excuse me. We live relationally righteous or unrighteous. That's a choice. Once we've accepted Jesus was the forgiveness of our sins, we cannot change our position in Christ. We are forever positionally righteous. We get to then choose whether we will live relationally righteous or relationally unrighteous. That's why wherever the scriptures talk about growing in intimacy, it's relational righteousness. Or said another way, um, power, authority, proximity to the throne room. That's where the discipline of beholding his goodness transforms us into his image. Amen. We begin to meditate on him. We begin to meditate on who he is inside of us. We begin to meditate on his love. That brings us into greater proximity with the throne room. That's Uh, relational righteousness. This has been a powerful, brother, and um, I, I went a little over on the program because it, you needed to finish where you're going, and it was worth every minute of it, and I just thank you so much, and I want to get you back on because I know you have so much more to share um, with us, but I want to I want to give a few minutes left here as we begin to close this down, David, because I feel like out there in the world with the so much uh, talk of spiritual warfare, which I, I, I want to make to everybody clear, I believe in it. I agree with it. Yes, there is a laying on of hands. Yes, there is a casting out of demons. There's all that stuff. It's all true. And many times that needs to be done. But, but God, as you mentioned earlier, folks, you don't have to have a man or a woman of God, whatever it might be, lay hands on you to get deliverance. You have the right to go directly to the throne yourself. You have the right to bypass another person and come straight in to find your deliverance. And putting your faith in God above men or women this day and age is will get you so much farther than trusting in what this world can offer 
through people that are called so-called deliverers or whatever that might be. And God does that stuff. Don't get me wrong. But God is saying, come directly right to the throne of grace. And you will find deliverance for the soul. David, I, I would ask that you could just close down and then we'll end with prayer. And just speak for a moment, just minister for a moment, if you would, to that people out there that it, they've been longing to find freedom and understand that they are loved. Like that woman who, who was weeping and wiping Jesus' feet with the tears uh, and, and her hair. And, and the Pharisees were looking with, you know, on their, was looking with content. And, and Jesus said, those who have been forgiven much, love much. And understand what it means to be truly forgiven. David, could you just minister to the body for a few minutes and then we'll wrap up with prayer? Yeah, absolutely. I'd be honored, frankly. So, guys, family, church, the more that we press into our identity as children of God, what the Father truly gave us through His Son. Uh, perfect love casts out all fear. As we begin to embrace that we are unconditionally loved and accepted, that positionally in His eyes, we are His beloved, His adored, what will happen is the fear, the anxiety, the torment, the strife, will begin to just fade away. It is a revelation of how much he loves his creation that will transform our hearts and minds and guard us in the peace of Christ. Family, what we're going through in this hour, although we, we, we're racing toward the fulfillment of all prophecy, the church has experienced this since the beginning of Pentecost. It's okay. You're safe. You're his beloved. You are loved and cherished. If you know things are coming, I would encourage you, stop listening to more of it and start getting fed on what grows you in your intimacy with the Lord. Start spending time getting to know your heavenly dad. Start getting to know your Lord and Savior. Get to know the voice of the Holy Spirit and what's on his heart. There's a good chance he wants to talk to you about your neighbor. There's a good chance he wants you to pray for that stranger at the gas station. And the more that we see and feel and begin to perceive the realm of the kingdom within us and around us, and that is your birthright. Your birthright is to walk in the realm of the spirit, aware of spiritual activity, thriving in great authority and love. The natural byproduct will be we'll pick up the good news and share it with those who need it. Don't let go. He's calling the church in this hour. He's calling us to intimacy. All the fear will disappear in his love. No matter what happens, he loves you and will always guard you. So thank Amen. you, Frank. That's the nutshell. No, David, please close us out with prayer, brother. Father God, I thank you that, that your scripture 
pierces through the lies in the name of Jesus Christ, pierces through the lies that have been overtaken the body of Christ in this generation. I thank you for raising up teachers that will pour out the goodness, the best wine for last in these days of sonship, of identity. I thank you, Father God, for setting things in motion that every person that's hearing this that is crying out, yes, yes, Lord, this bears witness. Yes, I want that. I thank you even now in Jesus' name. Lord, your word says to pray your will on earth be done in heaven. Lord, I know your will is for reconciliation. And so I declare your will forth over the body of Christ. I declare your will to raise up those that will minister to those out in the wilderness, that will minister to those that are longing for fellowship, for truth, for identity. I bind in Jesus' name the spirit of fear that has gripped the church in this hour. And I remove in Jesus' name the foothold that that has had. I remove that, that orphan spirit. I bind you in Jesus' name. And I release the spirit of adoption, the revelation of your goodness, the revelation of what it means to be sons and daughters of the living God, to manifest in the hearts and minds of every listener. I thank you for work being done in this hour I thank you for you coming back to take a pure and spotless bride that walks in your mind that will naturally flow with your goodness because we walk in it. Thank you, Father God, for everyone, Lord, that is dealing with condemnation and struggling with sin. Lord, I thank you that you have forgiven us. That it is a revelation of your goodness that sets us free. Thank you for the courage, Lord, for the, the body of Christ to begin to have the courage to accept they are unconditionally loved. We do not need to be afraid of losing salvation, Lord. It is your goodness that drives us into walking in greater holiness. It is not fear that produces life. It is your love that produces a life that is consistent with the nature of your Son. I thank you for that truth being driven home now all the Amen. Thank you, Lord. Bless them this night, Lord. I bless this, this ministry. I bless this time. Bless Frank and his family, Lord God. I thank you for the body of Christ and the honor it is to serve. The honor it is to lay down our lives for one another and for the lost. In son's name, Lord. Thank you. Amen. David, I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for being here with us on the Remnant Call and, and reminding us, um, folks, there's no, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out all fear. And I pray tonight, as David was talking about, that you tap and grab hold of the perfect love. The love that says, I don't care what tomorrow brings, I am safe and secure in Jesus. And I know that no matter what happens, that I will be okay because I have surrendered everything to him. And even in my imperfection, I trust that he will do that, which I am unable to do. And he will carry me through all the way to the end. Because he promised to never leave us nor forsake us, folks. Because we asked it all in Jesus' name. And this is Brother Frank and Brother 
David Murray with the Remnant Call saying good night and shalom. <laughs>